0: Good morning and welcome to Gateway. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. And if you're thinking uh, they, moved, they messed with communion again, uh, yes, you're right. We moved it. You're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, but it's coming at the end there. Uh, we'll get to it in just a few moments here. Oh, well, We're glad that you're here with us this morning. Glad if it's your first time that you've chosen to worship with us here at Gateway Taze Valley and uh, this morning, we are starting a new series uh, on servant leadership and what that looks like in the church. Now, you might have heard this term before, perhaps in the church or even in the business world, but what exactly does it refer to? Well, according to Robert Greenleaf, who many credit with starting the ser- servant leadership movement, uh, servant leadership looks like this the servant leader is servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve first. Leading by serving. Serve, service is not really something that we think of when it comes to like a, a leader and leadership qualities. If you were to list out the different qualities of a leader, you might list things like, well, he's a quick decision maker or she's a good public speaker or they they're a great problem solver, but typically you don't start with serves others always. And the same was true in the culture of Jesus' day. Leaders were those that were able to command a room. They had a physical presence about them. Leaders were those that had a lot of money or a lot of possessions, people that, that somebody looked up to. Leaders were not servants. Well, today we're going to be in John chapter 13. And so if you have your Bible here with you this morning, you can turn over to John 13 and be ready to read along with me here in a few minutes. Now, John's gospel is fascinating. It's a fascinating account on the life of Jesus because the language and the images that he uses are unlike any that we see in the other gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The first 12 chapters of this book of John, they encompass most of Jesus' ministry. And then interestingly, the next six focus on the last 24 hours of Jesus' life on this earth. In chapter 13, we have a very private and intimate conversation between jesus and his apostles here in the upper room and this is like the coach you know right before the last drive of the game it's the fourth quarter you're down a touchdown and you need to put points on the board here it's it's right there for the taking maybe it's a tie game you pull them in right at the end right in the fourth quarter of the basketball game all right we got 30 seconds left we just need one basket to win here we go let's do it we got one last shot at this let's go And everything that the disciples have seen and done over the last three years, everything that Jesus has taught them, it was all training for what was to come after the next 24 hours here. The cross was looming large in the very near future, both for Jesus and for his disciples. 19th century pastor Alexander McLaren said of this chapter, and the ones immediately following it here in the book of John, he says, nowhere else in G- is Jesus' speech at once so simple and so deep. Nowhere else do we have the heart of God so unveiled to us. The immortal words which Christ spoke in that upper chamber are his highest self-revelation in speech, even as the cross to which they led up is, is his most perfect self-revelation In action. See, gone are the parables. Gone are the veiled lessons that Jesus has been teaching. Jesus knows that these are his last hours, and he is speaking more plainly than ever before with his disciples, which is why the words in this chapter and the couple after are are so impactful. There's, There's no more time for Jesus to reach these men. It's time for future instructions before it's too late, and friends, time is running out for us as well. In this this series on servant leadership, we have three goals that we want to accomplish. First, we want to keep our focus on Jesus. And as obvious as that sounds, like, duh, we're in church, of course the focus needs to be on Jesus. Well, if you've been around church long enough, you know that sometimes we get a little sidetracked on on that. Sometimes we can lose our way, and Jesus isn't the focus anymore. So we want to keep our focus on Jesus. We want to keep the main thing the main thing, and focus on Jesus. Just like Jesus was the focus of the book of Revelation and throughout that series, he continues to be the focus in the book of John. In this last supper in the upper room, Jesus opens his heart to his disciples in a way that they haven't seen before. He was ready to go to the cross to show us what good leadership truly looks like. And you might say, no, no, no. He went to the cross to save us from our sins and you would absolutely be right. But in doing that, he was showing us what good leadership looks like. And listen, we need, we need good leaders. We live in a world with a lot of bad examples of what a leader looks like. And it's everywhere. There are bad leaders everywhere. Our political offices are full of bad leaders. Our schools, our churches, our businesses, there are bad leaders everywhere. And, And one thing that I have discovered in my experience is you can be a really great person And at the same time, be a really terrible leader. And when that happens, that's actually, it actually makes it harder because you really like the person. You're like, man, they have a great heart. And I really like talking to them. They're a great person, but man, they're just an awful leader. Like they're running this organization into the ground. And so the whole organization suffers from a bad leader. And what we see from Jesus in John 13 is an example of what good leadership looks like. This is Really, the only good person to ever live, Jesus, showing us what a good leader looks like, and it's called servant leadership. <laughs> Certainly, there are several characteristics of a leader, all of which Jesus had, but what sets, a le- sets apart a leader as a truly good leader is whether they are a servant or not. And so our third purpose is to encourage and inspire you to become a servant leader, because we need good leaders. One thing that sets servant leaders apart and why they are so important is is the impact that they can have on all of our society simply by serving others first. The impact that they can have on the greater good and those around us. And that's actually the idea. I mentioned Robert Greenleaf before. That was the idea behind servant leadership when he invented it. I, I, I think Jesus truly invented it, but greenleaf gets the credit these days but he said back in 1970 this is my thesis caring for persons the more able and the less able serving each other is the rock upon which a good society is built whereas until recently caring was largely person to person now most of it is mediated through institutions often large, complex powerful impersonal not always competent sometimes corrupt If a better society is to be built, one that is more just and more loving, one that provides greater creative opportunity for its people, then the most open course is to raise both the capacity to serve and the very performance as servant of existing major institutions by new regenerative forces operating within them. Friends, we need servant leaders in our society we can go around all day long and we say, man, I want, we just, this world is awful. People are awful, and we can, we can go around and complain, but the only way that things are going to change if we start building up some servant leaders within our culture and within our society, because we need them in our businesses. We need them in our institutions. We need them in our political offices. We need them in our culture, and we need them in the church. We need them in this church we need people willing to step up and be ready to serve others and be a leader for others we need people who want to invest in their church perhaps now more than ever and find a way to serve others within the church so the church is meant to be a community of believers using what they have been gifted and given to help the other members of this community That's what we see in the book of Acts. That's how everything began with the church in the first century. That's how it all started. So now how is it going? When's the last time that you contributed in the church rather than consuming the contributions of others? Martin Luther King Jr. once pointed out the fact that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? that question is more pertinent than others uh, than any than maybe ever before these days we are so in our own bubble we are so consumed with what's going on in our lives and so we don't ask that question of what are what am i doing for others very often and so that all brings us to our passage of Scripture in John chapter 13 this morning. We're going to be starting with verse 1, and again, Jesus is here with his disciples. They're in the upper room, and Jesus is being more open and direct with them than ever before. And the Apostle John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards, or afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And this is one of my favorite Peter moments. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And in this section of John chapter 13, we have our first clear picture of what a servant leader does. He takes a towel and a crazy, part of, or a crazy picture of true leadership, one of the most striking pictures there is of humility, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. He humbles himself to the lowest of the low, the lowest rank in the room. And surely by now, you know, the, the disciples, they've started figuring out that, that what they thought Jesus was going to be isn't quite what he is. Surely they've they've begun to understand that the Messiah was not going to rule over everyone maybe as they had anticipated, but they could never have seen this coming, right? This was crazy. They never would have thought that Jesus would have taken a towel from his belt, knelt down, and started washing their nasty and dirty feet. And we're not talking about like your smelly and sock-protected feet, like, you might have some smelly feet, some disgusting feet. I know some of y'all do, but that's not even what we're talking about, right? You might be sitting like, man, if Jesus washed my feet, that would be awful, right? And some, like, husbands or wives are like, yes, it would be, right? Like, it's, it's bad news. No, we're talking about dusty, sandaled feet. There are no socks here, okay? And we're talking about feet where the dirt was mixed in with the sweat and the road grime and everything else to create an often foul-smelling, first-century, Toe jam, okay? Now let's eat. <laughs> in ancient cultures where foot washing was practiced, either as an act of hospitality when you entered somebody's home or as an act of devotion, it was often performed, or it was always performed, by someone of lower status. There was always a servant in the room to do this, not those that were affluent. Most often it was a servant washing the feet of his master or someone in the family washing the feet of a guest or a student washing the feet of his rabbi. Always someone lower. But here in John 13, the teacher is washing the feet of the students. The master is washing the feet of the servants. God is stooping to wash the feet of man. And Paul told us that Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but he humbled himself to become a servant, a servant obedient even to death on a cross. And that humility. And service is certainly on display here in John 13. What a perfect example of what a servant leader does, of who a servant leader truly is. The servant leader is not seeking selfish gain. They are not promoting themselves. They take a towel from their belt. And so this morning, we want to take a look at a couple of questions about servant leaders, who they are and what they do with the answers coming from this section in John 13. And the first question is, what is the motivation of a servant leader? What would make somebody do what Jesus did? This is crazy. I mean, Jesus, John tells us that Jesus knew that his hour had come. At different points in his ministry, if you, as you look through uh, Jesus' ministry, it, like when, when it came, he turned water into wine. But when his mom came to him, he said, it's not my time yet. And that was his response many times during his ministry. It's not time yet. But the time has come, and Jesus knows it. Now is the time. His earthly ministry is coming to a close, and he knew that he only had about 24 hours left. And so he uses these precious last few moments with his disciples to drive home to not just the message he came to share, but also the method through which it would be shared. And so the message is the cross, and the method is humility. Remember from Revelation that John, he expected to see a lion, but instead saw a bloodied lamb. And this picture of true leadership is foreign to so many leaders in our world today, just as it was foreign to the leaders in the disciples' world as well. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, It is the power of God. On the outside to the world, this looks, it's backwards. It doesn't make any sense. A leader is strong. A leader does not serve. A leader gets served. That's why you aspire to be this rank. that others below you would serve you. Finally, you can get waved with the palm branches, right? And get fed grapes. This is why you have kids. I don't have to mow the grass anymore. They mow my grass. But what is the motivation for this humility. We'll look again at the phrase in verse 1, right at the beginning of 13. He loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. His motivation is love. And it's the same with us. A servant leader is motivated by love. And when we say that we need good leaders, we mean that we need leaders who are motivated by love, leaders who love God, leaders who love people, and leaders who serve. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesians, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We're so thankful for what Jesus has done on the cross for us, for how much Jesus has loved us. But what do we do with that? Well, it should motivate us to love others the way that he has loved us. And I like how Paul explained his leadership to the Christians at Corinth, saying if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Friends, servant leaders, they take a towel, and they're motivated by love. And when we are motivated by love, serving becomes a whole lot easier. Serving is hard sometimes. Putting others above yourself is hard sometimes. We don't want to do it a lot of the time. But when you're motivated by love, it becomes a whole lot easier. Because I'm going to put myself second because I love you so much. Now for our second question this morning. Who benefits from servant leaders? Who benefits from servant leaders? Well, that answer is pretty simple. Everyone. Everyone benefits from a servant leader. Amongst the guests at the table that night was Judas. Now we know, we know Judas. Judas was on the precipice of his great betrayal. And Jesus knew was about to happen knew what was about to happen. Nobody else there knew, but Jesus knew. And yet, in the middle of that, did he skip over him? This wasn't duck duck goose. He got everybody. Jesus, knowing what was about to happen, knowing the great betrayal that was about to happen, he still washed the feet of Judas. Now, John is careful to tell us that Satan had been working in the heart of Judas. We, we, we talked a lot about Satan, that old dragon, the last few weeks, and, all, and some of his schemes, and the way that he gets us, the way he's trying to break down those that are following Jesus. And we know that he is a liar and a loser and that he will be cast into the burning lake of fire on judgment day. But right now, even in his chained existence in the abyss, through his demonic horde of followers, he seeks someone to devour and Judas, unfortunately, became one of his victims. And we know from John chapter 12, verse 6, that Judas was struggling with honesty and pride. As the treasurer for the group, he used to pilfer through the money and take what he wanted. He gave the devil a foothold into his heart. And he thought, maybe I'm just giving him an inch. I'm just going to do just a little bit. But the devil took a mile. And we know that only ends one way. When we give in to Satan, it doesn't end the way we think it will. And so it ended with Jesus in full-on betrayal. Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and he regretted it. But instead of repenting and through grace, making his way back to Jesus, he went out and he took his own life. And when the gospel writers shared their stories, he had already become known as Judas the traitor and Judas the betrayer. The Gospel writers, they were looking back on their life as they described Judas and, and what had happened. They were remembering who Judas was, was at the end, maybe not previous to that. But Jesus knew Judas's heart in the moment, even as it turned to sin. See, before he was the betrayer, he was a follower of Jesus. He was one of his disciples. Jesus knew his heart and he knew what was happening. And we know from a little further down in the chapter that Jesus knew exactly what Judas was about to do. But Jesus didn't skip over Judas when it came to washing feet. He washed his feet just like the rest of them. And man, what a moment that must have been for Judas. I mean, it was a moment for everybody. But can you imagine the guilt as he's wrestling with this? He knows what's about to happen. And Jesus, he steps, he stoops down. And he starts washing his feet. Can you imagine what was going on in his head? But it's not just Judas. I mean, this must have been quite the moment for all of the disciples. It was a remarkable act by Jesus on an unforgettable night, made truly remarkable because Jesus knew that God the Father had given him all things. He knew that he came from God and was going back to him. He already knew what was gonna happen in the next 24 hours, what was gonna happen in three days, what was gonna happen in 41 days, and what's going to happen in the book of Revelation? He knew and he knows all. So knowing all these things, knowing the future, knowing that God has given him all things, what did he do? Did he pick up his wine glass, kick back and tell his disciples to serve him some grapes and, and fan him? Did he snap his fingers and flash his power to perform a miracle? No. Instead, he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and he served them I mean, knowing all those things, you thought maybe he would want to enjoy his last moments here, right? If you knew that you only had a certain amount of time left on this earth, well, you would start going through your bucket list, right? I want to enjoy all there is to know about this earth. I want to do all these things. If I only have a short time, I want to go out the right way. And yet Jesus did the opposite of all that. He wasn't serving himself. He was serving his disciples. And this is crazy, right? That as such a great leader such a powerful person would take the time to serve others, especially in this moment. I mean, what other world leaders would do that? No, nobody, no other world leader would do that. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, pick your favorite world leader, whoever it is. None of them are doing that. I mean, you walk in the room with your nasty feet into the Oval Office or wherever, and you ask them to wash, you know what's going to happen? You're getting thrown into that room on the White House lawn just as, and going to jail, right? Get out of here. Just make sure you got your camera going so you can put it on TikTok later, okay? No, no world leader. And no religious leader would ever do this. None. Just Jesus. In this moment, just before the torture of the cross, Jesus is not thinking of himself. He's thinking of serving his followers. He truly was loving them all the way up to the end. So Jesus, he knew about Judas and his betrayal, and he knew about Peter and his great faith and his desire to learn. He knew where everybody was at in that room. And Jesus washed the feet of both men, Judas and Peter, just the same, as if they were. he loved them the same, as well as the other 10 in the room that night. They all benefited from Jesus' act of humility. And friends, all of us, Are somewhere between Judas and Peter. We all benefit from Christ's humility. Later, when Peter wrote to Christians about humility, he said, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so let us clothe ourselves. In other words, let's put on an apron, take a towel, and love others. And unlike Jesus, we don't know who will remain faithful and who won't. We don't know whose heart will be changed by Jesus and whose will remain in sin. So without making any distinctions or judgments or favoritism about their condition before God and without having any reservations, we should take a towel and serve, not that we would get gain back out of it, but that they would see the love of Jesus through us. And we should share the gospel in both word and deed. We build relationships and we share the truth in love, hoping that others will hear the message of Jesus Christ and see Jesus in us. Love is the motivation of servant leaders, and everyone benefits from, when, from the times that we are a servant leader. When we lead by service, everyone benefits Servant leadership is something we should all aspire to because loving like Jesus is something that we should all aspire to. And so this morning, let me close with three specific questions for all of us. The first is if you've never trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, what's stopping you from coming to him? What's stopping you from offering yourself up to him? He gave up his life by dying on a cross for you so that you could have your sins washed away and have have salvation through that. And so what's stopping you? Number two, if you're a Christian already, what's stopping you from stepping up to serve? Do you love God? Do you love people? Well, let's find a place where you can serve then so we can show the love that you have for God, that you have for people through servant leadership. Number three, do you realize the difference that you could make in the lives of your family and the lives of others if you would just take a towel and follow the example of Jesus, loving people all the way to the end and serving them in humility? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful we can be here this morning. And that we can learn from your word and from your son, Jesus. Jesus provided an example that, that turned the world on its head. It's still turning our world on its head. That it doesn't make sense that someone so great, someone so powerful, would humble himself to wash the feet of others, but would humble himself to death on a cross. It doesn't make sense because we can't fathom a love as great as that. But we're so thankful for that very love that Jesus showed. And so, Father, I I pray that this morning we would not simply hear the gospel message and, and be thankful and stop at being thankful that he saved each one of us. And we're so thankful that we're saved by the amazing grace of Jesus, by his blood. But Father, I pray that we would be motivated, that this would inspire us to love others the way that he has loved us, the way that you have loved us. And that we would give things up and that we would serve in humility, that we would turn this world upside down through the love that we show to other people. And so, Father, I pray that you would raise up servant leaders within this body. That we would serve one another here. Just the way the early Christians served each other and helped each other along, that we would do that here. That people that perhaps have never stepped up before would step up now and say, I want to serve the way Jesus did. And that we would go outside of these walls and we would serve others in our community and at work. And just the people we come into contact with, we would show the love of Jesus so that we would look different, that it wouldn't make sense. And when people ask, why? We can say, it's because that's the way Jesus loves me. It's the way that he loves you too. Father, I pray that we would take the servant leadership as an opportunity to share the good news of your son, Jesus with those that are around us. Father, we're so thankful for your love and for your son, Jesus, and the salvation that comes through him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today and throughout this series, we're going to use our response time as a time to truly respond to what Jesus has done for each of us. And so we're going to have a brief time of music as we go to the tables. And we have two stations in the front here and one in the back. And so you can come and grab the emblems and take them back to your seat and just spend some time in communion with the Lord and be thankful for the sacrifice, reflecting on what that means for your life, examining your heart to see where you need to come back to him, examining maybe where you need to be more loving to others, examining where we can serve others because this death on the cross was the ultimate act of service to each one of us. Jesus said, "No, there's no greater love than somebody laying down their life for others. Sometimes we have to lay down our lives, physically or otherwise, for others to show them we love. But Jesus did that on the cross for each one of us to be the example so that our sins would be washed away so we could have this salvation and this living hope through him during this time of communion, I hope you'll reflect on that and remember what's been done for you. We also have our our plates up here for tithes and offerings. If you want to bring that when you come up and grab the emblems, you can do it then. And after you're finished, you can wait until after the service to throw your cups away. You can do it right away. Once we've had some time to do communion, we're going to play our last song this morning. We invite you to stand and give your heartfelt worship to God through songs you have a decision to make this morning, if if you've never been baptized and you feel like God is pushing you to do that, I'll be up front during that last song. I'd love to talk to you. If you just need some prayer this morning, I'd love to pray with you. But during this time, we're going to head into our time of communion. You can come on your own time.